don't normally follow you know, all of the patterns that the church follows. We've got this group of weeks to celebrate this and consider that. But Vineyard put out this, um, the Gift of Risk booklet. If you haven't got one of these, they're on that middle table there. And um, this is the Radical Years of Christmas. The Advent season uh, is preparation for Christmas. So in this booklet, there is a corresponding chapter for each sermon you're going to hear each week. So many of you got this this week, this past week to read through. If you take it this week, hearing today's sermon, uh, pages four through six in the booklet, that's chapter one in the booklet, will correspond to the sermon you're hearing this week so that you can then go in and do the little project that it gives you. It gives you journaling opportunities. They ask particular questions. They add to the content that you're going to hear today. So for the five weeks of Advent, uh, heading towards Christmas, you're going to be preparing your heart for this one event, that God came in the flesh and what that means, all right, and what it meant for First century Jews who had been looking for that for a thousand years plus, you know. So, so here we go, going into the Advent season. All right. The Gift of Risk, Advent, a message on the radical use of Christmas, the Gift of Risk. So Advent means this, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. The arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Similar words would be arrival, appearance, emergence, materialization, or the surfacing of a uh, notable person, thing, or event. Now, within the framework of Christianity, and I use that term in its fullest sense, anything that calls itself Christian follows a liturgical calendar, uh, this Advent season applies to that, all right? Advent is a season of the liturgical year observed in most denominations as a time of expectant waiting and preparation. So it isn't enough to just wait, know something's coming. You have to prepare for what you know is coming, right? If I told you um, that in two weeks we're lucky enough to have scored President Trump to just come and and talk to us about what's going on from his point of view here. Uh, on a particular Sunday, I'm sure you'd all come in and be in suits and ties, and you know, because the President of the United States and all around the building, there'd be Secret Service, right? There'd be a lot of preparation for this particular person coming because he's notable. He's notable. Well, someone more notable than our President is coming. Right? 2,000 years ago, they knew that. Someone special is coming. We know he's coming again. There's another Advent. We are in the season of Advent since the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost started the last days. The last days began the preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We are always, as kingdom people, in, in the mode of Advent. So to understand the dynamics is to increase your ability to adjust to the world around you with the great expectation that no matter what's going on, Jesus is coming, right? Jesus is coming, and in that, you're going to find uh, a lot of hope, okay? 
So it's a season drenched in the now and the not yet of our kingdom theological understanding of the unveiling of God's use of prophetic and revelatory activity as he relates to man and restores his kingdom rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. As we enter into the celebration of the nativity of Christ at Christmas, considering, as we will over the next several weeks, all that transpired between the birth of baby Jesus in a stable in Bethlehem to his resurrection in a garden in Jerusalem. And if we have eyes to see and hearts to understand, then we will also find hope and faith for the promise of the return of Christ at the second coming and the final inbreaking of his kingdom as heaven unites with earth in newness of life. If you ever read a descriptive of that day in Isaiah, guess what? No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death, right? That's the expectation of Advent. Isn't that good? Although they themselves were not heirs to the promises of God, nonetheless, they in their wisdom recognized the advent of the Messiah, Savior of the world. And risking all, both life and fortune, they left their own in pursuit of who and what was being revealed. Listen, the Advent season, by its very nature and purpose, promotes evangelistic opportunities. Right? You're going to begin to see it in advertising. You're going to hear it on the radio. You're going to see it on Facebook. Christmas sale, Christmas this, Christmas that, right? And most people have no idea what the crisp part of Christmas is all about. But we do, right? So God creates an opportunity in the Advent season for us to do what these wise men did. They went in search of to an opportunity to proclaim what they had discovered in the heavenlies was coming to earth. What better time to share the good news of the gospel? So let's begin our vineyard Advent journey. And you'll find these in your book. Introduction, scriptures, Matthew 1.18 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The theme is when God said his yes at Christmas, he knew the future it would bring about. And fulfilling his plan through willing, yet scared out of their wits human beings, seems to be the way he likes to do things, right? Ever felt that way, walking out things in the Lord? Like, oh, my God, what am I doing, right? I love the little disclaimer Matthew provides to his readers at the end of verse 18. He says, from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Let me read that verse again without it. And you can see the risk Joseph was dealing with. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, 
she was found to be with child, dot, dot, dot. Well, doesn't that little add-on soften it? By the Holy Spirit, right? A couple of things you need to know in order to really grasp this thing. First, betrothed is similar to but not the same as what we call engaged. Betrothal was as binding a contract as marriage. Marriage consummated what betrothal began. From Joseph's point of view, he had already begun his life with his betrothed wife, and now, take away the disclaimer about the Holy Spirit, now Mary had committed adultery and was pregnant with a bastard child. Let's get real. First century, right? Oh, boy. Hey, Joe, polish up the rocks. Right? There are only two options. Divorce, putting her away, which would have marked her and her child for the rest of their lives as outcasts. The other option, death, which would have ended their lives. The choice was Joseph's to make. Nazareth, in Jesus' day, was a village of about 200 people. Most of the men were, as Joseph was, a carpenter, which is a poor translation of the Greek word tecton. Now, if you want to see a tecton, we've got one right up front here, right? So a tecton, which included carpenters, stonemasons, fabric makers, and most trades involved in construction. Essentially, construction workers are tectons. You can add that on your truck somewhere. I know it. Right? <laughs> and the construction happening in Joseph's day was the city of Sepphoris, a Roman decapolis city being built by Herod, right over the hill from Nazareth but far enough away to keep Nazareth from being ritually defiled by the presence of non-Jews. In a town of 200 where most of the men work together on a job site, right? Like, what's that like, right? <laughs> I'd ever see con construction guys huddling around talking, you know? You know what it's like, right? <laughs> And all of the women and children worked the village together. Whatever Joseph decided to do about Mary would be known and responded to almost instantly. So what does he do? Matthew 1.19. Well, first of all, listen how Matthew speaks about Joseph and her husband, Joseph. Her husband, Joseph. Being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, I don't know how he's going to pull that off in a little construction town in the backwoods of Nazareth, right? But that was his decision. He's going to cover her sin because that's what love does. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. No parameters. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. 
even if, even if, even if, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. But love is more than just that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Now, none of us ever do that, right? It is not irritable. <laughs> Here it goes. Right out the window. <laughs> oh, boy. Or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And again, love is even more, way more than that. Listen to this from the Apostle John in 1 John 4, 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, because God is love. Oh, my goodness. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Here's Joseph, a righteous man, knows how to love, even with a broken heart. And here is where it begins. God so loves the world, he gives his only begotten son, and already in just the early stages of conception, of being formed in his mother's womb, the love of God expressed in and through Jesus Christ is already compelling the just to take a risk. To live by faith. Love is the great compulsion behind the risk. And as we will see, when love compels us toward risk, that is faith, we find hope even when the situations of life appear to be at their worst. I want to say that again. When love compels us toward a risk or towards faith, because Wimber said years ago, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. If you're going to step out in faith, you're going to take a risk. It requires it. We find hope even when the situations of life appear to be at their worst. Are we in that kind of mode right now? Seems like everywhere, right? Things seem to be at their worst. We need hope. How are you going to find hope? Have faith. Have faith. God is going to take you to the brink. Isn't that good news? Doesn't sound like it, but if God is doing it, it has to be because he works all things to good for those who love him. So even when you arrive at the brink, even when you say, I don't know if I can do any more of this, you're going to find your answer. 
I love one of, one of the gospels says that as Jesus was sweating blood and, and just in the garden going through this horrendous dilemma, it says that an angel appeared and comforted him there, right? Just as he was at the brink, heaven broke in and gave him just enough to make it through, right? It's guaranteed for you. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes and amen for all of us. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. They cluster. They slid their seats together. Right? Now the rest of the story. Matthew 1, 20 through 25. But as he considered these things, we're back to Joseph, right? He's in a dilemma. What's he going to do? I got to put her away secretly. You know, I don't want to stone to death. I don't want to mock for the rest of her life. And the poor kid, you know, what's that going to be like for him? As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, right? In a dream. Please keep that in mind. This is not... You know, an angel stood in front of him, Joseph, right? Now, this is, this is, he's, he's asleep. He's in bed, you know, probably trouble seek, sleep, but the angel comes in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us, the advent, the advent. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So let's just take a look at this for a moment from what it might look like today. Hmm? If it happened to some friend, an acquaintance or a relative who was engaged to be married and was saving themselves sexually for the marriage night, how would you process this? He comes to you broken and emotionally confused. He has just found out that the love of his life is pregnant and is not from him, and worse, she has this bizarre story of an angel coming to her and God himself impregnating her. All right, all you life coaches, ponder that for a while. So what do you think your next step ought to be? <laughs> what do you do? Wow, you know, uh, whoa. But it gets stranger. The next day, your friend comes back and his whole demeanor has changed. He's charged up, excited, and hopeful, and he tells you he's going to marry his fiancée, that an angel came to him in a dream and told him what she had told him was true. The baby in her womb is from God, and he's going to be the savior of the world. Okay. <laughs> Did you take your meds today? Right? All right? 
Well, that sounds reasonable, right? Uh, good luck with that. Uh, but are you sure that dream wasn't just that Palestinian pizza you had for dinner before bed last night? No. I mean, come on. What would you think? What would you think if it was a friend, if it was a son, if it was a close companion? What would you think? Man, really out of it. You know, he doesn't know how to process this emotional breakdown. Right? What would you say? This we know in the dream, Joseph found faith. And the faith produced hope. Hope in the purposes of God and decided to risk it all for the possibilities of what could be and chose to love as his recourse. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the King James Version. Now faith. Now faith. That is immediate for the moment faith. Current faith. Faith you're processing at the moment. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. See, as soon as he grabbed the faith, as soon as he expressed the hope, the thing he was looking for became the reality of his life. It became the substance of all the decisions he would make for the rest of his days. It's the evidence of things not seen. Last week, Pastor Eric spoke about the need to be all in for and with the gospel and the risk here in the Advent story, a full nine months before there was even a Christmas story, the risk takers were already being drawn into the all-in call of God for his purposes. Three lines from the dialogue of the angel in Joseph's dream with a little vineyard commentary, and we'll close and turn our hearts and attention to prayer. Matthew 121, and she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Point one, she will give birth to a son. The will of God is irresistible. It is irresistible. God speaks a word. It does not return to him void. In other words, it always accomplishes what he sends it out to do. And the place we stumble the most is we always think it's immediate. Okay? Mary's fulfillment of this word in conceiving a child by the Holy Spirit was spoken in the Garden of Eden to Eve. That's a long time. But it's spoken of Jesus that in the fullness of time, God sent his son fullness of time. Don't lose hope in the word of God for your life. There are many willful people on the planet, including some of us in this room, 
but our will be done ultimately is not the request God honors. If we can dictate God's behavior by the things we want, then we put ourselves as God's God. He doesn't like that. Nor does he play a part, or nor does it play a part in his bigger, more mysterious plan, plan, will give birth to a son, sets his will in motion. The emergence of Jesus as God in the flesh was the start of God's ultimate plan. Point two, and you are to give him the name Jesus. God's will starts the story of Christmas in many ways, If human freedom is truly ours to live in, the plan or the people invited into it could have gone sideways at any point. Joseph could have said, like you see on Facebook, B-I-T-C-H, show you, right? Stoner. Could have done that. Had every right under the law to do that. Could have pointed the finger out and ended her life end of the life of that baby, it was his choice to make. God influenced him, but did not dictate what he should do with the information he provided. We're not puppets on a string. We're his children. God, knowing this, invites two people to engage their sense of risk by giving them a prophetic name for their son. I hope you all understand the name Jesus is Greek, right? It's a Greek translation of Yeshua, Yeshua, right? Or you could say Joshua. Joshua, Moses' companion, was also Yeshua, right? And he brought the people of Israel into the promised land, into the promises of God. Jesus, Yeshua, is going to bring all of humanity into the promises of God as he saves them from the consequence of sin. Because he will save his people from their sins. In this moment, the father frames the risk of Mary and Joseph in the wider goal it will accomplish for their people. Sometimes we need a bigger story to help us take the leap of faith. Think back over your lifetime. Has God ever invited you to risk with great potential consequences looming before you? Have have he ever asked you to do something where you had to say, oh man, if I do that? I go through this with people all the time. Oh, you know, I'd love to follow Jesus, but I know I'd lose all my friends. Yeah, you might. Right? Does that mean I can't go to the bars anymore? They start processing what they're what they're going to lose rather than what they're gaining. You see? Risk faith looks for the gain and is willing to pay the price of the cost.
what did you do and how did things turn out when you took the risk? So I'd like you to consider, perhaps you could journal about this in your workbook this week or the next week. So pages four through six in your little risk workbook. Uh, you'll read some of the same materials and consider the questions. Not only the questions they provide, but this question here. What is God calling you to risk right now as we head towards the brink? Well, let's pray. Would you stand with me? Well, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come this morning. Come and join us in this room. Let your presence be known, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you begin to prepare our hearts, Lord, with faith, with hope, with love, with a sense of great expectation. Something big is coming. Something grand is about to unfold. Something good. After all of 2020, finally something good is coming from heaven. Lord, would you excite our hearts even in the midst of all the chaos and confusion like you did for Joseph. The risk of so much loss for his future, his plans, his hopes and dreams, Lord. He took the risk because you spoke into the situation and showed him you were involved. It's all we need to know, oh God, that you're involved in our lives that you love us so dearly enough to offer your son for us. So we ask you to lead us in this Advent time of year, O oh God, in preparation for the coming of your son, in preparation for the deep work that you're going to do in your church during these times of great stress and anxiety. Lord, that we could become a source of peace, a source of hope, a source of light and love in these dark days. We bless you, oh God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for one another, oh God. Help us to be lovers of each other as you see it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, there's going to be some folks up front if you need prayer for anything. Uh, just make your way up and get some ministry time. God bless you and keep you as you exit. And if you're going to cluster and talk, just drop your mask up or down, however you're wearing it. And uh, that would be awesome. Thank you for being understanding. Thank you for coming. For all you folks online, God bless you. We hope to see you next week. Amen.